Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. All right. Let's get going. Can we tell our worship team thank you so much for leading us in worship today? It's such a good job. Um, I'm excited about today because we've been, we've had a secret we've been wanting to tell people and we waited till a bad weather day so only the real Christians got to see it first. Um, No, but about six months ago, um, we were in a a governing elders meeting and um, we've got a group of, of elders that oversee the affairs of both campuses and the ministry as a whole. And so we were in an elders meeting and going through budget stuff. And after looking at everything, uh, our elders had released us here in Lubbock to start looking for a property here in Lubbock. And so we kind of, we hadn't had nothing. We'd kind of looked at a couple options and things. I think we're always looking to grow and um, whatnot. But anyway, long story short, we got the green light from the elders to start looking. And it wasn't very long after that that uh, a property just showed up on their radar kind of out of nowhere. And so we now officially own a piece of property. Uh, Yes. It has a building on it. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of what it's going to look like someday first (laughs) because it needs a little work. (laughs) But the piece of property was one, the price, the location was one that we just could not uh, pass up. We actually had to do some initial architectural work during our feasibility period to make sure that the size of the building, the parking lot, and everything would work, because uh, we really need about a 20, about a 20,000 square foot facility, uh, at least 500 seat auditorium, uh, children's facility. There's a, another thing we're working on with offices as well. But so we did actually have to do some initial renderings of the building before we could even decide whether we're going to buy the property or not. So we did some renderings, made made it work, and it's like, okay, this is the right piece. Bought it, and so are you guys want to see what it's going to look like? Yeah. Here's a picture of what it's going to look like. Um, and the location's better than that picture because, any of you guys know where the 50-yard line building is? So we own that piece of property now. And so uh, that's why I did this before I told you that. And uh, so there's some things that we'll do in the near future to get you guys involved. I think we're going to do a little bit of cleanup. Uh, Keith and I were talking about doing a cleanup project. But just to give you some reference and some scale, uh, the building that's there is about uh, 15,000 square foot. We'll have to demo about 3,000 of it eventually to build back a brand new state-of-the-art 8,000 square foot sanctuary. Uh, we'll completely demo uh, the entire middle of the building, inside of the building that's there to make our children's wing and all that stuff. But the children, what's, what you see there is just that little white piece. But that black piece on the, the uh, angled on the backside, that will be the sanctuary on the backside. Uh, plenty of room for, I think one, one rendering had almost 600 seat auditorium in it. And so we are definitely planning for the, for the future there. And so uh, obviously we got a lot of work to do. Uh, I, I'm showing you that now because we just couldn't keep the secret anymore. We were pretty excited about getting our hands on it. And the, and the group that worked with us, <clears throat> uh, the price we got it for was, was quite remarkable, to be honest with you. Uh, when it's all said and done, this will be about a 20,000 square foot facility similar to what we have in Midland. Uh, of course, this was back in some crazy Midland prices. Midland cost us a little over $8 million to build. Uh, we'll build this one for just north of half of that. And so it'll be a much better price when it's all said and done because of what we bought it all for. So 
really excited about that. And so we just wanted to show you. We'll probably put something out on Instagram so everybody else can see it. But we wanted the non-fairweather Christians to get to see it first. So, And we secretly judge everyone who's not here today. So anyway, uh, just kidding. Uh, excited about the message today. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump right in. Uh, just to let you know, today's a little teachy. And it's a little more meat and a little less milk, so just bear with me because we're going to get into some stuff, I think, that are going to help you understand, uh, one, just a little bit of the, more of the culture of our church, uh, cult, my, my personal culture, but then also just where I feel like, um, just kind of where I feel like the Lord's kind of leading the, the American church. One of the things I like to do is I pay attention to the, the, the preachers that I respect, and when I say the preachers I respect, especially those that have a prophetic bent. And those that seem to have their, their ear to the, to the heavens, so to speak, and they're listening not just to, what Lord, what message do you want me to pull out of the file that I've preached 12 years ago and I was busy playing golf this week and I didn't have time to study, so what message do you want me to preach? But I'm talking about actually really hearing, Lord, what are you, what are you saying? And one of the things that I really do feel like um, that the Lord is just really saying to the church in America is it's time to get serious about some stuff. And I, I would propose, and this may hurt some of your feelings, but I would propose that not many people in America, especially Christians, I don't think Christians don't know that God loves them. I, I think in general, the average Christian would say, do you believe that God loves you? Yes. And, but what I think's happening is uh, we've gone away from a reverence and fear of the Lord and just a willingness to sacrifice, o- o- faithfully surrender our lives to him, o- radically obey him, and, and I think he's just calling us back to, hey, let's, let's grow up. Let's get serious. And I, and I think some of the things we're going to read today, uh, you guys seem thrilled about the, that, so thank you for that. Um, but I, I think you'll see as we dig in here a little bit that this is not just what, uh, what I'm sensing or anybody else is sensing, but it's also just what Jesus had in mind all along uh, for, for his church. Th- this part needs to be said before I go uh, much further you have to understand that the church was not created to get people saved. The, the church was actually not created to get people saved. The, the church was created to edify, encourage, and train believers. That's actually what the church was. But what's happened over time is since the individuals laid down their responsibility, the building had to pick it up. So because we have stopped doing what we're called to do, now the entity of the church has had to start saying, well, since believers aren't evangelizing, I guess the church will have to do it. And we've lowered the standard of the believer to say, you know what, your only responsibility is to show up to church and invite people to church, and we'll take care of the rest. And that is not what the scripture says about the church. I want you to know this, you're called to more than that. You, you have a, a much bigger calling on your life than showing up to church and occasionally inviting one of your friends to church. Now, mind you, if you're here today and you're like, well, great, I invited my friend to church today. Thank you for inviting your friend to church today. But just know that as we grow, and I think you'll see this in Scripture, as we grow, it's just really important that we understand the plan of the church was way bigger than that. The plan of the church was way bigger than that. And you've been invited into... Uh, a process of bringing heaven to earth and inspiring the world to follow him. So it's a, it's a, it's a bigger task than I think we've given it credit for. So uh, let's start reading here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. 
Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. Verse 11, and he himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Notice it says for the equipping of the saints. He's giving us insight into, into the church and even the, the assignment on these five gifts. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect, and that word perfect there also means mature, and I want you to start seeing some repetition here in, <clears throat> and, and emphasis on a couple of things. To a perfect or a mature man. So why did he send the fivefold office of ministry? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? Because he wants us to be perfect, mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning of craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from, the, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Causes growth, notice this, no longer kids, growing up, mature, perfected, causing growth, of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to read verse 13 out of the Amplified Version. Um, Until we all reach oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, growing spiritually to become a mature believer, reaching to the measure of the fullness of Christ, manifesting his spiritual completeness and exercising our spiritual gifts in unity. Uh, this passage of Scripture is what um, is known as the fivefold. I, I, I don't like this. It's not biblical, but I grew up hearing it called the fivefold office. I don't think it's someone trying to rebel against scripture when they say that. I think they're trying to bring understanding, but according to scripture, more accurately, it's fivefold gifts. The Bible says God gave gifts unto men, and these gifts were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of this, of a teaching on fivefold or understand the concept of this. So you, you have a bit of an understanding uh, of this. <clears throat> One of my favorite things to do is just even bring clarity around um, this this particular topic of, in Scripture, there are three lists of gifts. There's the Romans 12 gifts, uh, which are the redemptive gifts. Well, these are the father gifts. And just like in the natural, your father was responsible for your DNA. In the spiritual, your heavenly father gave you a piece of his DNA, also known as a redemptive gift. You'll find those in Romans chapter 12. There's seven of them. You actually have been for lack of a better word, branded with a part of that. You're either a, a prophet, a ruler, a mercy, an exhorter, a teacher, a giver. Uh, exor- did I say exhort mercy? I forget. There's seven of them, I promise. Uh, uh, but that, that is, that's one of those things that you were, when you were born again, you were reborn with a new spiritual DNA. He, he made you a certain way and, and restored that thing to you. And so redemptive gifts, that's your father gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. They call them spiritual gifts, but these are the Holy Spirit gifts. So as, a, as it pertains to the Trinity, you've got the Father gifts, the Spirit gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, these spiritual gifts in, in 1 Corinthians 12, these are gifts that you can partner with the Holy Spirit by faith in and <clears throat> exercise this gift for the good of somebody else. Operating in spiritual gifts is not for you to show off how mature you are to other Christians. That's not what it's there for. It's actually there for you to serve 
other people by partnering with this person, the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Father gifts, the Holy Spirit gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, which is what we're talking about today, these are the Son gifts or the Jesus gifts. Uh, Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Um, I want you to understand this. For whatever reason, God has always chosen... um, for there to be a human representative of the ministry of Jesus on the planet. I'll say it again. God has always chosen for even in the absence of Jesus, for there to be a a human representative of Jesus' ministry on the planet. If you go to the Old Testament, Old Covenant, uh, you may you may have heard of the twelve tribes of Jacob, or or Israel is made up of the twelve tribes of uh, of Jacob. Um, <clears throat> that is Israel. That is now at war. Uh, these these twelve sons, the twelve tribes, came from the twelve tribes of Jacob. Of these twelve tribes, one of the one of the sons was named Levi, which means one of the tribes was the tribe of Levi, and they had completely different responsibilities than the other eleven sons and the other eleven tribes. God, along with Moses and Aaron, or came out of Aaron, the, the priest Aaron, he, he said, hey, I want this group to have a completely different set of roles and responsibilities. Now, I'm not going to pretend like I know what all the other uh, sons were doing, uh, agriculture, um, government, teaching, farming, ranching, whatever. Um, but they, I don't even like using the word secular, but 11 of the 12 tribes were just business as usual, normal business. But the tribe of Levi were set apart from God to be priests. Now, what do we know? According to Hebrews, what do we know Jesus was? He was the high priest. Jesus was the chief priest. He's the main priest. So it's in his nature to be a priest. But in the the New Testament, the biggest issue facing humanity was sin and the consequences of sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so what Jesus did in the, under the Old Testament, he said, hey, I'm going to take a group of people called Levites, we're going to make them priests, and they are going to perform sacrifices. And that was the main job, really the main job of these Levitical priests was to perform sacrifices. And in the performing of these ceremonial sacrifices, it would cover the sins of God's people. The priests performed a sacrifice that covered the sin. It was, it was prophetically pointing to when the priest himself showed up and he was going to pay a sacrifice that didn't just cover the sins like the blood of bulls and goats did, but eliminated the sin of man. But in the meantime, until Jesus came, Jesus sent, are you following me? Jesus sent an earthly mediator on this planet through men to do for a, a moment what he would do eventually. He would eventually get rid of sin But for a season, he needed the priests to perform the sacrifices to cover the sin. Do you understand that? So you see in the Old Testament, God or Jesus' ministry had to be present on the earth. The ministry of Jesus needed to be there. Now, I learned this years ago from a guy named Charles Neiman. Uh, He's a phenomenal pastor, had a great church in El Paso. And one of the things that he talked about is, as it pertains to New Covenant theology, you're basically trying to figure out a couple things. What happened to everything in the Old Testament once it passed through the cross? Did it go away when it passed through the cross? Did it change when it went through the cross? Or did it stay exactly the same? And you can pretty much sum up everything. The Old Testament is Jesus prophesied and foreshadowed. 
So when we look in the New Testament, we go, okay, there's probably some semblance of that in the Old Testament. I am persuaded that what we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, the, the five-fold office of ministry, five-fold gifts, <clears throat> it is Jesus' ministry. It's, it's the, let me say it a different way. It is the New Testament version of the Old Testament Levites. Jesus had to be present on the earth through the Levites to cover sin. Now he's present through the five-fold office of ministry to do what's most important now. See, before Jesus came, there was not some, someone had not taken care of the penalty of sin yet. So he said, priests are gonna, they're gonna sacrifice bulls and goats to cover the sin. But now that Jesus has come, the ministry of Jesus is no longer, he's not dying every day for our sins again. Sacrifice is no longer needed. All that's needed is for us to believe in the sacrifice that was done. Accept the sacrifice that was done. So now as New Testament believers, are you guys tracking with me? I know this is a little, little heavier, but. So now what is, what is the most significant thing that Jesus is doing on the planet today? What, what, what's it all about in the grand scheme of things? He came. He sacrificed. He died. He rose again for our sin. And then he says, and guess what? I'm coming back for my church someday. So everything that, the most important thing that is happening on the planet today and what Jesus is most concerned about today is getting his wife ready for his return. That's what's going on the grand, in the grand scheme of things. What, what, sum up Christianity, it's a, it's a bride getting ready for the groom. That's what it is. So in the same way that he sent the priests, the Levitical priests in the Old Testament to partner with what he was going to do, he sent the fivefold office of ministry, the fivefold gifts of ministry, to partner with what Jesus is doing on the planet, which is preparing his church for his return. Let me read to you in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, husbands, notice even the language. He's using um, marriage language. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he, Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here's the point. Through the fivefold, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, Jesus is, has imparted himself into the fivefold to use them to prepare his church so that when he comes back, the church is ready for him. Are we tracking with that? You following me there? Um, when we read this, go back and read Ephesians chapter 4 here. You see this language. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then he goes into all this language and he says, at the end of the day, this is so that we will mature, so that we won't be like children anymore, so that we will grow up. And he, you see this over and over again. When I, I, I'm going to be on this topic for a while and I'll give you some, some more to this the next time I'm here. But what he's saying is, I gave the fivefold to get my wife ready. And what my wife being ready looks like is growing up. It's the church growing up. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. If you don't grow, you won't be ready for him. If you resist growth, you're resisting 
Jesus. If you resist any aspect of the fivefold, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, any resistance to that is resistance to the ministry of Jesus. And it's resistance to your development. And it's resistance to him getting you ready for your marriage with him ultimately when he comes back in. Are you understanding this? I, years ago, there's a reason I want you to understand some of this because uh, culturally, we don't, we don't have a rotation of preachers that preach just because it's too exhausting to preach every single Sunday. Like, it's not like, hey, I really don't want to preach every single Sunday, although, honestly, sometimes I don't. Um, but the, it's actually, we didn't start doing this so, because it just seemed like the best use of energy. Hey, we'll, we'll do a rotation. When, when we started Renew Life Church, one of the things that was going through my head is, is this passage of Scripture here. This, this passage of Scripture was fundamental to the DNA of the launching of this entire ministry because I realized I've seen what individual-led churches look like. I've seen what that looks like, and I've seen how immature they turn out. And it's not, part of it is not that hard to recognize. We shouldn't, something in us should know, I should not be going to church because of a person. You, you should not be coming to church to hear me. You should not be coming to church to hear Keith. You, a person should not be the reason you're coming to church. The church is supposed to be a collective of gifts that God put on this planet to prepare, first of all, to encourage you, to edify you, to build you up, but also to train you so that you can partner with him in getting his church ready for his return. And if you, if any church, and I know this is, it's going to feel like I'm attacking some churches, but, and in some way I am, <laughs> I'm just being honest. If a church is all about one person, it's almost like, and here's another interesting thing I noticed. Did you notice that there's five-fold office of ministry, or there's five gifts in ministry, and there's also five major food groups? If you only like to eat one type of food, it's going to, it, your body is never going to be what it's supposed to be. Amen. We know that, right? And what kind of people only like to eat one thing? Children. And sometimes I have the most childish diet. <laughs> but let, let's just be honest about it. Like, the, kids don't want to eat fruits and vegetables. Sometimes they don't want to eat dairy. They, they, there's things that they don't want to eat. But what we have come to learn that maturity says, I don't eat what I want, I choose what I eat. That's what maturity says. I don't eat what I want. I choose what I eat. Because at the end of the day, I value my health over my happiness. Same goes in the church. If we say, ah, uh, it's weird when y'all bring in prophetic people. You know, those prophetic nights y'all do, I mean, I remember that one time y'all made us all stand around the edge of this room and everybody's saying, think of an animal. And I'm sorry, I just, that was too much for me. <laughs> That's the same thing as saying, I don't care how healthy vegetables are for you, I ain't eating them. I ain't eating them. I ain't going to do it. <clears throat> and God gave gifts to men. Now I want you to notice what he said there. Gifts. Gifts. Where did that gift come from? Him. Do you think your father even could give a bad gift if he wanted to? Absolutely not. 
which means as believers, if we say the end goal is being ready for my Savior when he gets back, then Lord, I want you to teach me to have an appetite for the things that get me ready for you. Well, teachers are boring. Yes, sometimes they are. Like even today, like even this, this is a teaching. And some of you are like, man, this is, like I wanted to say like amen to a bunch of stuff. This is not really one of those amen kind of messages. No, you're right. This is called, you know what? Eat your broccoli. <laughs> apostles. Well, I didn't know there were apostles anymore. Well, according to this scripture, there are. And I don't have time to go on down that road, but um, there are still apostles. And you know what I've learned is just fall apostles? Change. Change, 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 and more change. And some people say, you know what? I actually don't like a church that changes. I don't, I don't like that. Oh, we're doing this, and now all of a sudden we're doing this. And then we said we're going to do this, and now we're doing this. But what I've learned about the apostolic is the apostolic by nature is looking for something it's never seen. And it'll only know once it sees it. And you know what that requires? A little exploratory research. <laughs> because apostles by nature, they're taking new ground. They're sharper, they're harder. And some people, they're like, you know what? I just want to show up to church and I know what I'm going to get when I get there. That's that's just saying, that's a whole part of my diet. I, do, I don't ever want to change. And, and I'll just say this. I personally don't even understand the concept of I don't ever want to change. If Jesus is infinite, if God is infinite, and the scripture says that we will forever and always be learning, even for the, throughout all of eternity, we will be discovering new aspects of him, of his character, and his nature, and his goodness, and his kindness. Why would I not want to start that, re, that research right here on this planet? I mean, after all, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, we're going to be learning more every single day. Let's start now. But if you say, man, I just don't like change. And just so you know this, there are some personalities that just don't like change. Lynn and I joke about this all the time. That, that's kind of our, like, she's, she's steady Eddie. I'm risky Rick. <laughs> I mean, like, like, I just, you know why I said that. <laughs> it's like, but she like, it's, but it's one of those things where it's like, she has learned that, she said, if I, was, if I wasn't married to you, I would, I would never change anything. I would be pretty steady in everything that we do. Because there actually are some personalities that are called to be that. If I wasn't married to her, there would be no routine in our life whatsoever, you know. But, but here's my point. First of all, humility acknowledges the gifts in other people. And and hunger for the things of God. Once you see in Scripture that God's, God's got a, a diet for you, He's got a plan for you, He's got, he's got things that you're going to need to access, have access to. You're, uh, let me say it a different way. There are things you're going to need to submit yourself to, gifts you're going to need to submit yourself to, and allow them to touch and tinker and change some things. I'm, I, prophetic ministry is a, it's a doozy. Because guess what? Prophets don't get it right every time. I, I, I won't say a name, but I, I mean, they're a very well-respected prophet. Uh, I, I got a meeting with him one time, and I was so excited. And I, I could not wait for him to just tell me all these amazing things about my life. And he sat there for 20 minutes and got it wrong. 
He said, this is the kind of person you are. This is the kind of leader you are. Here's kind of what your church probably looks like. And he starts prophesying all this stuff. And I was so disappointed because I'm like, none of that's right. I waited this long for that meeting. And I just remember being kind of, you know, when we got done, he goes, hey, if, if, if none of that bears witness, just flush it. And I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say. It's like, I, I waited a long time for this. And there are times when even in our best attempts, even the apostolic, there's times where it's like, hey, we're going to go for this. And the Lord's actually saying, no, actually don't go for it this time. Actually just stay right there this time. But that immature, unseasoned apostolic gift is going to be like, no, we're going for it. And it's like, it's going to make a mistake. Every single one of these gifts has a propensity to make a mistake. And we have to learn to remember, it's God inside a human, not God in and of itself. It's not perfect. It's God trying to show itself through a person who can make their own decisions, who's still trying to hear the voice of, voice of God. It's still coming through a human. So what I'm saying is, is like, you can't say, you know what? I, I got prophesied this over, over me one time. It didn't happen. I don't, really, I don't really jive with prophecy anymore. Just because your experience was wrong doesn't mean these scriptures are changing. There are times when you have to say, you know what, Lord, I, I embrace that because it's you. I'm following that because it's, because it's you. I was, um, again, my, that's really not even, what even supposed to be my message, I just, realized after the first service, I'm like, I'm not getting to half of what I wish I could get to today. But um, what I wanted you to see and embrace is that a big part of what Jesus sent the fivefold gifts to do was to keep us engaged in a process of growth, engaged in a process of development. And what I have learned is, is as it pertains to growth and, and development, you have to willingly accept, let me say it a different way, you have to willingly step out of comfort if you're ever gonna grow. Like you're, I, I was having, a, me and Riley, my middle daughter, were having a conversation about this at the dinner table the other day, and she's just navigating her journey with the Lord and developing and growing, and you know, we were just chatting about this, and like, hey, this next step, this next thing for her in, in her development is like, I, I wanted her to know, I'm not, I know this isn't easy. I know asking you to say, hey, this kind of person, I can't be, I, this person's no longer allowed in my inner circle. They don't, they, they don't have the values that are taking me where I want to go. I'm aware of the fact that I'm asking you to do something that's not easy. And even confronting them and their sin, I know that's not going to be easy. I know that that's, so what I, what, what I was explaining is to move forward, I have to look forward and go, to get there, I'm going to have to say yes to some pain. I'm going to have to say yes to some discomfort. I'm going to have to say yes to addressing some fear. Oh, if I say this, am I going to be ostracized? If I do this, am I going to be lonely? If I do this, is this going to cost me that? The answer is yes, yes, and maybe. There is going to be a cost for maturity. But much like Jesus had to do when he looked forward, and he said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He said yes to a great, something greater in the future, which meant pain right now. 
which meant some suffering right now, some discomfort right now. At some point, you're going to have to take the plunge. That's what spiritual maturity is. It's at some point saying, you know what? I'm going to, from now on, I'm not just going to choose easy. I'm not going to choose whatever doesn't rock the boat. I, when I saw this image in my head, I was reminded of this story. Um, I think it's about nine years ago. Best I can remember is about nine years ago. Uh, we used to, well, we go to East Texas every year and uh, for Thanksgiving and have for well, 20 years. Every year, well, I think we missed maybe two, but uh, basically every year we go to East Texas to see Leanne's family in <clears throat> East Texas. And her East Texas family is some river rednecks. I'm talking about some, some real river rednecks. And um, years ago, when Leanne's family was still alive, I, I regretted, because I got invited to go with him one time. And on that trip, uh, I would have got to meet her granddad before he passed away. But they did a trip to catch some alligators on the Trinity River in East Texas. And I so regretted now going, not going on that trip. But uh, when they came back, Jake, her brother, I told him, I said, hey, if y'all go alligator, Hunt, bring me I'll bring me back a gator. I want a, a live little gator. And so uh, they did. He got himself one, and he caught himself one, and he caught me one. And I was so excited to have this little, this little alligator. I mean, it's just not very often you get to play with a little alligator. Uh, so who's the river redneck now? And um, so I, I just, and I just, I always had regrets of not going on that trip because I just thought, man, you don't meet, there's just not very often you meet people and say, hey, would you like to go alligator hunting with me, you know? And so... I don't know, about nine years ago, I was just like, I want to catch a gator. Like, I just, I had it on me again. And so I, I called Leanne's uncle, and I said, Craig, let's, let's, when I come down for Thanksgiving, let's go, like, can we go catch a gator? He goes, heck yeah. And so we go down there, we, we fished around the river waiting for it to get dark, because the best way to catch them is at night. And what we would do is you'd shine a spotlight, you'd just drive down the river, shine a spotlight, and their eyes would light up like a coyote or fox or whatever, and you could kind of see them, and then you'd just move towards them. So we wait till it got dark, we're spotlighting, and we're seeing eyes. The problem was, I was, I was in the market for an alligator somewhere in this vicinity. You know, like, this is what I was looking for, one I could just grab my hands, because if a, if a gator's this long, only this much of its body and their mouth's like that big, and so, I mean, they can cut your fingers up, but they're not gonna, like, chop your arm off or nothing, but, and so I was, this is kind of the range I was, you know, looking for. It, the problem was, every single alligator we came across was like a four, four to five footer. And we just could not find a small alligator. And so we're looking and looking. And finally, after about two hours, in fact, we actually had done this a couple of times where we'd, we'd see one and I'd pull the boat up to it and I'd be getting ready. And I remember we'd get about eight to 10 foot from it. And I'm like, I don't really know if I want to grab this one. Like this sucker here, this might be a little more than I wanted. And so anyway, we, uh, we finally find this one gator. And it's like, he looks like a catchable size. Now, catchable compared to what we'd been seeing, he was probably... He or she, whatever, is about, I don't know, three and a half, four foot long. And this one happened to be facing the, the bank. And so Craig said, we can't just pull the boat up to it because it's too shallow up there. And he said, um, I said, well, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to get out in the water. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, this ain't the trip I planned, you know. And so he pulls the boat. He, he gets about, I don't know, from me to the sound booth. And he pull, stops the boat. And he's like, here, this one's probably too big for you to grab. He said, let me just, let me go get this one. And I said, deal. And so he gets out and uh, he gets halfway there. And I don't know if he planned, and as I'm telling this story, I'm like, he may have planned this. And he said, he got about halfway there and he said, uh, hey, I need you to get out here with me. I'm gonna have to get you to hold the light because he's, he's too big to grab with one hand. I'm gonna need both hands for this one. And I'm like, 
you have got to be kidding me. But you got to understand, Craig, Lynn's Uncle Craig, her dad was this way. Her dad was like the most like intimidating guy you've ever met. Like he's just the man's man of all man's man. And plus he's like your, your father-in-law, so you're half scared of him anyway. And so I'm like, and her uncle's the same way, just like her dad was. And so he's always just been like this intimidating person. And like, I don't want to be a wuss to her uncle Craig, you know, like her proxy dad basically. And, uh, and so I'm like, I can't let uncle Craig think I'm a wuss. And so he's like, Hey, get out here and come hold the light. And I'm like, I'm having to act like I'm in, like perfectly okay with this. And you know how sometimes when you're scared and you don't really want to do something, you start making like random excuses or saying random things. And I'm like, hey, should I, should I take my shirt off? And I'm like, why would I take my shirt off? Yeah, I don't even understand why. I... And he's like, what? I was like, well, what about my shoes? <laughs> you know? And he's like, just take your shoes off and get in the water. And you know, he's kind of making fun of me. So I, I take my shoes off. And to be really honest with you, that was probably the scariest part of the whole thing because like we're at pitch black, there ain't no houses, we're in the backwoods of some river and I'm, I do not know what's on the ground of this thing. And so I'm just like, Lord Jesus, please don't let there be a snapping turtle right below me, you know? And so I get out of the water, I kind of overcome that fear and I start moving towards him with the light and I'm gonna, you know, I was supposed to hold the light for him to grab this gator. And so I get, I finally get to Craig and I don't know what came over me, but just this thought came over me like, okay, I got out of the boat. I'm already in the river. I ain't letting him. I came to catch a gator. Like, I ain't letting him catch this gator. I'm going to do it. And so when I got to him, he's like, here, hold this line. I was like, uh-uh, you hold the line. I'm going to get that sucker. And he's like, get it then, you know? So I took a little mag light. I had the thing in my mouth. Well, I, so I just start moving my way through in, in the dark towards this alligator. And it's just one of those things that you just have to, you kind of had to have been there, but it's like, your whole time you're doing this, you're like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this thing that I'm doing right now? This doesn't make any sense. And so the gator's just still perched up, kind of looking towards the bank. And by the time I get up close enough to him, I'm in about, you know, water that's about this deep. And I'm just moving real slow. And I realize that his head's up, but his body's submerged like you would see kind of, you've seen him on TV. But I could see the tail and the with the flashlight kind of going down. And I realized if I'm going to get close enough to grab him, I'm going to have to straddle this gator. <clears throat> so I kind of get behind it and I kind of, I spread my legs and I just start shuffling. And I finally am, I'm, I'm on top of this gator and the water's, you know, about this deep, the tail's kind of coming down like this. And the head of that gator is like right there. So I'm, I'm kind of in range. And so I'm like, I'm right there. I've done all, I've done it all. And I mean, the strangest thing happened to my body. It could not move. And I'm like, whew, grab it, <laughs> grab it, you know. So, and I'm literally trying to psych myself up because I'm realizing, like, I can back up right now. I can go back to the boat. Anybody else ever straddle a gator like that before? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking, like, I've done something, you know. Like, I've accomplished something. I got out of the water. I've accomplished something. But then I'm, the, the other part of me is like, but then you'll know you never grabbed him, you know. The thing you actually came here to do, you'll know you never actually did it. And, 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 of course, Craig's making fun of him. His version of the story and my version of the story are, are different. Like, the way he said I went at it, he's like, you didn't even try to grab that alligator. And I was like, yes, I did. I gave my whole heart, you know. And because at one point you finally realized, he, I'm going to have to kind of dive on top of him. Like, I can't just grab it because like, he wasn't close enough. And so when that moment came, I just kind of lunged. And I don't know if he felt the gator felt me kind of coming or what had happened. But right about the time my hand hit behind his head, he just whirls 
and the, ins- the gator hits the, the tail hits the inside of my leg. And I mean, I just scream like a little girl. I just, there's, I'm screaming and yelling. The gator's trying to get away from me. Probably more scared than I am, which is probably not possible actually. And, but it was just, just a ball of chaos. Gator me, you know? And, and of course I look back and Craig is rolling, laughing, like what an idiot. He, he said, you look like you had T-Rex arms when you went to grab him. You're like, you didn't, even, you didn't try to grab nothing. And um, I, uh, I was thinking about, I, I was writing this message this, this week and just, just getting ready for this. And this story, the, I thought the Lord showed me this story. And he said, this is a good picture of a lot of Christians as it pertains to spiritual maturity. He said, there's things that I have for them. And they've, they've done some things. They showed up for the trip. They said they wanted to go. Hey, I want to grow. I want to be spiritually mature. They showed up for the trip. They got out of the boat. They got all the way to some, an opportunity where they realized they were going to have to take a significant plunge. And there was, there was fear involved. There was anxiety involved. There was the unknown involved. And he said, but that, and I feel like the Lord began to show me, this is what we're going to have to learn as believers to do, is get to that point when spiritual maturity, making a decision that's going to grow us, change us, develop us, saying yes to, I mean, even little things like, you know, I, I, I I don't think we'll get to it today. Actually, I know we won't get to it today, but um, I, wrote, I had 12 things that are signs of spiritual maturity, and I got to number one in the first service. Because uh, one of the first things that you'll, you'll see is someone who's really said yes to spiritual maturity and is beginning to grow is they have a high value for the Word of God. An extremely, extremely high value for the Word of God. And for some of you, it's like, it's, it's taking the plunge of saying, I'm not going to let a day go by in my life that I don't get the word of God on the inside of me. First of all, only mature people know what's really valuable. Take your kids, for instance, and how they treat your car and your house. They have no idea the value <laughs> of a car or the value of a house. I mean, on the way to, on the way to church this morning, Leanne, Leanne and I have different rules in our cars because hers is kind of the kid pickup. She has to pick up kids every day from school. She takes care of all that. So she's got kids in and out of school, and especially when the kids were younger. But it's like, you just never know when you're going to find a Chick-fil-A biscuit in the car. Just like, that might have been there since January, you know. Uh, because you're just doing, you're doing whatever you can. But I don't, I don't, my kids don't, normally I don't let my kids eat in, in my truck. I just, I don't like it. And this morning, me and <laughs> Riley's chuckling. Because this morning, Riley had to help me get Evan ready, and, or she got Evan ready and took, got, got us to church. And so Evan's in the back seat, and I'm watching her eat this biscuit in the back seat of my truck. And I, I'm like, it, she's like, oh, drop my biscuit. And I'm like, you picks up her napkin and slings crumbs to this side. And I'm just like, this is not mom's car. You know? <laughs> but there, as a child, there's no awareness of the value of that truck. It's, just, it's a sign of immaturity. You don't know what's, what's value. And I actually wrote it down this way. Um, treating the precious like the common is a sign of immaturity. When you treat precious things like they're common, that's a sign of immaturity. And I'll, I'll say this. I think it's a trap of the, for American culture and the American church. We don't even realize how significant some of the things we have really are because they, they're so easy for us to get. They're so available to us. And, but I'm telling you, there is nothing more precious than the Word of God. 
believing the word, knowing the word, treasuring the word. Years ago, uh, I, we found a video of um, a, a box of Bibles being delivered to an underground church in China and watching these women open this box up and how when they grabbed the Bible, they just began to weep. And here they are weeping at the thought that they finally have a Bible. And most of us in this room, we might know where ours is at. And there's still pages stuck together. I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm talking about. It's like there has to become a point in our life where it's like, <clears throat> I'm taking the plunge. I'm going all in. I'm going to value what God values. And if the word of God is God and I value God, then I value the word. When we looked up, you know, Believe it or not, people actually want to work for this church. They, 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 they see it as a, a, a something that they want to be a part of. And when I listen to them, one of the things I want to hear is, do you even know the word? Do you know the word? Do you love the word? Does the word come out of your mouth? Are there any, is there any oil on your words when you're talking? Do I constantly hear the word coming out of your mouth? I don't care about if you've got great personality or charisma or any of that. No, do you have oil? Oil comes from this word. And... I think that's, that is a sign of maturity where it, you value the word enough that you find creative ways to get it in you. The day and age we live in with technology, all sorts of evil are at our fingertips. I mean, what a kid can not even try to find and find is scary. But equally as scary is how accessible the word of God is and we don't even try. Like I, I was talking to someone the other day, and, and again, this is not bragging about me, but like I still listen to, there's several churches that are across the country that I respect, the pastors there and what's going on there. I, I listen to every single Sunday message that they preach. So today, Bethel Church on YouTube, they'll release their Sunday AM service somewhere around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And most times by two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I have my YouTube pulled up. I want to hear what they're saying. I I want to hear the word of God. I want to hear it. I value it. And, you know, I, I was telling them, I told the story, and I'll close with this. My, one of my, uh, I have a, a group of three overseers that oversee me personally, and it's, it's how our church government works, if governance works, if anything were to ever happen to me, either an accident, traumatic, or even if I did something stupid, uh, they would come in, remove me from the church, and set in a new senior pastor. There's actual healthy church government here and I have three overseers, and that's their job to, to handle watching over my family and me and Leanne. And, uh, and, but one of them, his name's Walt Landers, and I actually call him my pastor. I, you know, Banding Leapshire is one of them. And uh, I, I, we've got a, a new one that we've just added. But Walt is, my, <clears throat> Walt is my pastor. And if you knew Walt, Walt's just a, a good old country boy from San Angelo, Texas, that's got a church that's not nearly as big as ours. He, and he's been doing it for 20 or 30 years. And a lot of people might look at a guy like Walt and be like, how is that guy your pastor? How, how is that guy the one? Because they, you, you, people measure the wrong things. And they look at the wrong things. And I'll never forget this. Uh, we're so close. We hunt together. We hang out together. And I remember one time we had gone on a hunting trip somewhere. Or maybe it was a ministry trip. But we had just had the most amazing time had dinner together, talking the word, talking the kingdom, talking church, just talking whatever, and had, a, had an amazing time. And it was 1231. I mean, it was late, and we got ready to go to bed, and, I, and it was like, all right, well, I'm gonna, he goes, I'm going to go to bed now. I was like, okay. 
Well, then he reaches over on his nightstand. He had his earbuds, his Apple earbuds, and he opens up his earbuds and puts them in. And then he lays down and goes to bed. And I was like, and I could hear something playing uh, in his earbuds. And I just, the next morning, I just couldn't stand it. I was like, hey, what were you listening? Why did you put earbuds in your, in your ear last night? And I said, what were you listening to? He goes, just the Bible. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, I, I do it every night. I, I don't, I go to bed every night with the, with the word playing in my ear. And it just, all of a sudden it just dawned on me, that's a guy I want to follow. That's a guy I want to be my pastor. That's a guy I want to be, who, who, and just so you know, who prays for our church on a daily basis, who's watching over this church because he values, even at the end of a quote unquote long day, I, I, I mean to ruffle feathers here, but he's not looking to get a, a bourbon before he goes to bed. He's looking to get the word before he goes to bed. And I just, I'm sorry, there's just something about a guy that's like that. I'm like, I'll follow that guy. That's wisdom. That's maturity. That's, that's what it looks like to value the word of God. You, you don't have to be told to read your Bible. It's like, have you ever had that feeling where you're like, I don't, my body feels weird. I don't think I've had enough water. I think I need to drink some water. Anybody ever had that feeling where you're like, I, I, know, I, I know I need some water right now. You need to have a spiritual thing going on the inside of you every now and then. It's like, wait a minute. Have I gotten any word in today? Have I, read the, have I listened to a podcast? Have I read a book? Have I read the Bible? Have I, has I brought it up in conversation over lunch? Like, that's when you start to recognize when people value something. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I know what's inside. I know what's in the well. Just see what comes out. Then you'll know what's in the well. We'll go through some more of this over the next uh, couple of weeks, next time I, or next times I preach here. But I, I really want us to go on a journey of recognizing and, and identifying indicators and signs of what does it really mean for me to grow? What does it really mean for me to mature? What does it mean for me to say yes to what Jesus did through the fivefold gifts of ministry when he said, I'm going to come through the fivefold and I'm going to grow my people up so that they're ready for me when I get there. What does it actually mean to say yes to that process? Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.